Good morning. A, f- a few years ago, <clears throat> sorry, a few years ago, I was traveling down to Florida uh, for seminary, and I was this particular time I was flying out of Pearson Airport, and I was at, I was through security, I was at my gate, and I recognized some familiar faces. It happened to be a couple of um, players on the on the Blue Jays, the baseball team, um, walking through the airport with their families. I think it was all, it must have been All Star break. I don't know why else they would be in the normal people part of the airport. But it was, it was awesome. I, I recognized them, and so I proceeded to shake two of their hands. I really like these guys. I'm a, I was a big fan, and so I got to shake their hands and say, hey, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of you. One of the guys, as I was going to shake his hand, the center fielder at the time, his name was Kevin Pilar. You might know him. I shook his hand. As I was shaking his hand, the, the, the guy next to him acted like I should shake his hand too. And I, I didn't know that guy. I didn't know who he was. And so I didn't want to waste Kevin Pillar's time. And so I didn't shake his hand. I kind of snubbed him a little bit. I just like, you know, I'm just going to say I don't want to waste this guy's time. As I was waiting at my gate after this, this, this guy who I didn't shake hands with was there too, and a lot of other people knew who he was. <laughs> and I was kind of thinking, like, uh, I wonder if this guy was also on the Blue Jays. So I looked, I quickly Googled it, and I looked up the roster of the team, and sure enough, there was his face. His name was Steve Pierce. Not a particularly um, special guy. There's nothing incredibly special about Steve Pierce, except that the next year, he played for the Boston Red Sox, and they won a World Series. And during that World Series, he was the best player in all of baseball, and he won the World Series MVP. And so, it would have been really nice for me to know who that guy was. I snubbed a World Series MVP. I could have said that I met the World Series MVP. Instead, I snubbed him. And and this is not a life-changing story, but it illustrates a point. If I knew who this guy was, if I knew even what he would accomplish, I would have been ecstatic. I would have been texting all my friends like, hey, you will never guess who I just met in the airport. Instead of me saying, hey, you'll never guess I met a a decent center fielder, I would have met the World Series MVP. Knowing something about who he was, actually knowing who he was, would have changed the way that I related to him. Psalm 100 tells us something about God that changes everything about how we relate to him. The claim in this psalm is that God is good. God is good. And we need this good God. We need this good God because we were meant to be with him. We were created for good. We were created for good. We were created for God. And without God, we can't attain the good life that we were created for. Without God, life is dull and meaningless. 
Without God, nothing satisfies us. Without God, we live a meaningless life, we acquire meaningless possessions, and we suffer hardship and wrong for nothing. With a good God, our life has meaning. Our life has purpose, and our hardships become worth it because they draw us near to this good God. They lead us to God to see and experience the fullness of his goodness. The good life is found in knowing this good God. The good life is found in knowing our good God. We're going to work through the psalm seeing these three themes. We're going to see the goal of the good life, the rhythm of the good life, and the way to the good life. The goal of the good life, the rhythm of the good life, and the way to the good life. First, the the goal of the good life. The book of Psalms is a unique book in the Bible. It's a book of poems. Some were written as songs for corporate worship, some for kind of individual times, um, crying out to God. There's all types of reasons for the Psalms to be written. And we, we don't have a lot of information about Psalm 100, but what we do know is that it's a psalm of thankfulness. And it's a psalm of thankfulness that in the book of Psalms kind of acts as a finale or a, a crescendo to a whole string of psalms from like, I think Psalm 93 all the way to 100 that declare and exclaim that the Lord is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. God is king. There are two things from the way that this poem is written that direct us to the main point of the poem, main point of the psalm. First, there are seven imperatives, seven imperatives. An imperative is like a command, like go, go do that. And so the psalmist says, the listener tells the listeners to do seven things. He says, shout for joy, worship, come before, know that the Lord is God, enter his gates, Give thanks and praise. There's kind of seven imperatives. And the middle command of the whole psalm is to know that the Lord is God. To know that the Lord is God. Hebrew poets like to use this idea of of sandwiching. They highlight a thought or a word or a phrase by placing it right in the center of the psalm, of a poem. At at the center of this poem, there's an imperative that says, know that the Lord is God. There's a second tip that we also get. There's another form of sandwiching. The Hebrew word that translates uh, in verse 3 as his people, that's one word. It's the very center word of the psalm. There's actually 20 Hebrew words in front of that psalm and 20 are in front of that word and then 20 Hebrew words behind that word. And so we have two forms of sandwiching, highlighting two phrases that say, know that the Lord is God and we are his people. Know that the Lord is God and we are his people. This is what the psalm is calling us to do, to know that the Lord is God and we are his people. He made us, it says. We belong to him. We are the sheep of his pasture. This phrasing, know that the Lord is God and we are his people, it would have actually been familiar to the Israelites. 
There's a, there's a big theme in the Bible called the covenant, this, this formal promise that God makes with his people. And at the basis of this, of this covenant, of this promise, God is saying, I am going to win. I'm going to get you out of the pain and suffering you are in. He's promising a savior that he will save them. He will be their God and they will be his people. And he actually uses that phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's a, it's a common phrase that God uses when he's promising to his people a savior, that he will be with them and that he will win. The psalmist is calling us to know this truth, that God is God and we are his people. And so knowing God is the goal of the good life. Knowing God is the goal of the good life. So how do we know something well? How do we really know something? Michelle and I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter named Nicola, and one of the things that she loves to do is help us in the kitchen. And so we encourage her enthusiasm, even though she's not a very good help. She's more of a hindrance in the kitchen. But the kitchen is kind of a dangerous place for a two-and-a-half-year-old, for a toddler that's actually standing on a chair. There's sharp sharp knives, there's hot pans, um, and there's an endless supply of tap water. The other day, she and I were were cooking eggs on the stove, and I put the chair, like, as close as I could, but kind of even to show her that, like, hey, it's a little bit dangerous, you should stay away. And I said, don't touch the pan, it's hot. And she acknowledged that, and as, as sternly as I could, I said it, and, she, and she, she said it back to me. She said, don't touch the pan, Dad, it's hot. It's like, okay, she knows. She gets it. She knows that it's hot. And she, she did pretty good for a while until her excitement and her enthusiasm just couldn't, she couldn't not touch the pan. And so she touched the pan, and she cried because the pan was hot, and she shouldn't touch it. And so Nicola, she knew that the pan was hot and she shouldn't touch it. She, she even told me that the pan was hot and she shouldn't touch it. But now, after experiencing that the pan is hot, she knows. She knows better that the pan is hot and she shouldn't touch it. She has an experienced, she has experienced this knowledge. She has an exp- experienced the truth. And hopefully that will deepen her understanding that she shouldn't touch the pan in the future. The psalmist says that, he says, know that the Lord is God and we are his people. And so what does it mean for us to know that the Lord is God? How do we know God well? Knowing God is not just knowing stuff about him. It's, it's helpful to know stuff about God, but if we just know stuff about God and we don't know him, that leads to kind of a, a heady faith devoid of meaning and feeling. That's not the good life. Theologian J.I. Packer says, once you become aware that the main business you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Our, Our life begins to make sense when we know that the Lord is God and we are his people that he is God and we are not. 
When knowing God becomes the object of our life, we find meaning and purpose. Consider something important to you. Maybe it's your work. How does knowing that God is God and that you belong to him impact your work? How does it bring meaning and purpose to your work? Let's say that you sell cars for a living. Previously, before knowing cars, your, your, object, your objective was to sell a lot of cars, make a lot of money, have your own car dealership someday, retire in Florida. That's the good life. Unfortunately, the market tanks. You're not that good at selling cars. You took on too much debt to start your car dealership. You're drowning. And when you drive by your smiling face on the billboard in town, you can't even look yourself in the eye. You failed your objective. And so you are a failure. And, and I hate to say it, that even if you did achieve those objectives, they wouldn't ever feel like enough. The objective itself didn't satisfy. Our objective in life is to know God. Your, your job might be selling cars, and you might be good at it. Sell cars so that you can know God. Knowing that God is God and we are his people, it brings us perspective in the good times and in the hard times. When we, when we fail at things, they don't define who we are. We are his people. When someone gives us, someone who we respect even, gives us harsh criticism, they are not God. He is God. Knowing God reshapes the way that we perceive life. With knowing God as our goal, we begin to find true meaning and purpose in life. And so the goal of God is to know, the goal of the good life is to know God. How do we do that? How do we know this God? We do that by entering into the rhythm of the good life. <clears throat> and the rhythm of the good life is worshiping God together. Often. Worshiping God together, often. It, it's hard to read this psalm and not notice that worship is important for the way we interact with God. There's, notice three things about this worship. We are all called to worship God. Worship is joyful. And worship draws us near to God. The psalm begins with the call to shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. The type of worship that we are being called to is corporate. No one is exempt from worshiping God. It is part of the good life. And this worship is joyful. Notice the, the happiness of the psalmist. Shout for joy, worship with gladness, and sing joyful songs. Knowing God leads to joy and not drudgery. There's something good, there's something joyful about knowing God. And the third thing about this worship is that it draws us near to God. The psalmist says, come before him with joyful songs. 
enter his gates with thanksgiving. There is a move here towards God. We are being encouraged to draw near, to enter into the presence of God. And through our worship, we grow closer to God. We know him better. Worshiping in community is integral to the goal of knowing God. Worshiping in community is integral to the goal of knowing God. This means that coming to church is integral to the Christian life. Coming to church week after week is integral to the goal of Christian life. It is here on Sunday morning where we practice the rhythm of the good life. We worship together. We look to God together. We praise him for who he is and what he has done for us corporately and individually, acknowledging that he is God and we are not. If you want to know God, if you want to experience him, come to church. Gather with other believers and worship God. We are meant to worship together. When we are worshiping God, we are declaring out loud, publicly, that he is worthy of our adoration and of our love, of the praise that we are attributing to him. We are telling him that he is of more value to us than anything in this life. The truth is that we are all worshipers. We all worship something. We were created for worship, that's what we would say. We were created to worship God, not because God needs us in any way, but because God deserves it. He deserves all the glory, and we need him. We are self-forgetful when it comes to recognizing our need for God. We can go days, weeks, years without recognizing that we need God. We're functioning like there is no God. Part of the human condition is to attempt to be self-reliant. We hold up as ideals those who, who made it from nothing. And we kind of sneer at those people who made it, but they had money or they had privilege. God made us to rely on him together. He made us to rely on him together. And this is why we need the weekly rhythm of worship. Every week we come together with other believers and we declare together that God is God and we are his people. We lay aside our self-reliance and we announce our reliance on him. And just like sheep need continual redirection to go the right way, we need to be redirected to the goal of knowing God. And we need to be redirected by coming together and worshiping him. We need God. And we need each other to remind us that we need God. And so the application here is to come to church. Be a regular here or at your home church. And not because your church attendance moves the needle with God, 
And not because your church attendance maintains this kind of image that you've, you've made of yourself. Come to church because you desperately need to know God. You desperately need to have what he has for you. You need to worship him because he is God and you are not. So the big question that we haven't answered yet is why? Why do I need him so bad? What is it about this God that would make me want to live like this? We want to know and worship him because he is good. Because he is good and he is the way to the good life. Verse 5 in our psalm says, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The Lord is good. This psalm is calling us to know God and to worship him in community because he is good. And so what is so good about God? What is so good about God? God's goodness is best displayed to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the good God, the good shepherd that Psalm 100 is praising. The psalm says that we are his. We are the sheep of his pasture, insinuating that God is like a shepherd. And the psalm says that the Lord is good. Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Jesus knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your struggles. He knows your sin. Jesus knows your pain, and he knows your suffering. And, but he doesn't just know stuff about you so that he can exact judgment on you. He knows you. He, he, he sees you in your sin. He sees you in your pain, and he does not leave you there. He goes on to say, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and I lay down my life for my sheep. This is what makes Jesus so good. <clears throat> on one hand, Jesus is good because he, he did not sin. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God, the, the only human to ever live without sin. He entered into perfect communion with God. He, he earns it. He gets to know this God. He walks with God like we didn't. And this is what makes Jesus good, but by all accounts, he has the good life. But he didn't stop there. 
Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. And you could say that because of this sacrifice, this good God, this good Jesus is gooder. He's gooder than good. He is better. Jesus is even better because he laid down his life, the good life he earned for his sheep. He really knows you. He really sees you. He knows your thoughts. He knows what troubles you. He knows what you might be hiding from everyone else. And he does not leave you where you are. Jesus took the good life that he had earned and he laid it down for you. He willingly went to the cross to die for your sins so that you could know God too. He gives us his good life. He endured all of your pain and suffering. He has an experienced knowledge of who you are and what you've gone through. He was abandoned, betrayed, beaten, homeless, and hungry for you. Jesus is the good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus took that communion with God that he had earned, the the, the knowledge of him, and he gives it to us. Because of Jesus, we can enter the Lord's gates. We can live in God's presence and feel joy. We get to experience his goodness because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? What do we do with this goodness? What what can we do? What can we do but worship him? What can we do but, but give our lives to him in thankfulness, worshiping and remembering what he has done for us? Wherever you are on your journey this morning, come to him with faith, knowing that he is good, that your sins are forgiven. He knows you. He is loving and faithful. Confess to him whatever is holding you back from worshiping him. Look to him in faith and believe that he he is who he says he is, that he is good. If you're here this morning and your faith is failing or you're not a Christian, thank you for being here. You are most welcome. Our prayer is that you will find this place to be a safe place to consider the claims of Jesus. Consider the claims of Jesus. And as you consider this claim, as you consider the goodness of Jesus Christ, consider what he says in John 10. Right after he says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says this. He says, I have other sheep who are not, that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd.
Jesus is the goodness that you need. He is bringing more sheep into his fold. Might he be bringing you? God is good, and we can know him by knowing Jesus, our good shepherd. It's a, it's a long weekend. Long weekends are generally a time when people gather together. A lot of us have different traditions that we uphold on these weekends. One of the traditions that my family did when we were kids was we always went to the beach on Canada Day long weekend. I don't know, it was always the busiest day, but we always went. And as, as far as I can remember, it's something that we always did. And even now as adults, if, if someone doesn't suggest the idea that we should probably go to the beach on Canada Day, it's like something's wrong. What's wrong? I should check on my siblings. It's, it's a tradition. It's, it's what we do. And one of the great things about these types of traditions is that they create memories. We create memories when we get together, when we gather, when we do the same things over and over again. Traditions create memories that we hold on to. So make it a tradition to come and worship God week in and week out together. Come together, reminisce, and be reminded of the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. Be reminded again and again that God is good. His love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And by doing this, you will experience the grace of God in your life and you will grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. The good life is found in knowing the goodness of Jesus. The good life is found in knowing the goodness of Jesus. So let's worship him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is better than we could imagine. We thank you that in Jesus you have given us a standing and a life that we don't deserve. That our hardships, that our pain, our suffering, the good things in life, that they have purpose, they have meaning, that you are drawing us and others in to your goodness through them. We thank you that our objective in life is worthy. We thank you that you are worthy. And so, Lord, draw us into experiencing you together. Change our hearts. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us know and experience the goodness of Jesus. We pray this because of his goodness, in his name, amen.